Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to begin to make your way to the book of Ephesians this morning as we continue in our short series before our fall series uh, through the book of Romans. We are doing a series together called uh, Together We Are, and it's really just a series to capture uh, the, the ethos, the vision, the values of Redemption Parker. And so if you've been here a long time, this is just a reset. If you're new here, this is a great time just to learn about uh, what, are, what are we trying to actually pursue as a faith family together and so uh, together we are. And as you're turning there, I, I, I remember several years ago, I had heard that uh, there, there was a, a guy that's a Christian guy, owned, actually sells helicopters, and uh, he was inviting pastors to uh, come take rides in the helicopters and pray over the city. And when I first heard about it, I rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, okay, that's what you need to pray over the city, whatever. And, and then uh, I, I got invited to go, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go. And so I, I, I got there, and we, we put on the, the headset where you can hear each other, and um, we took off, and and I'm, I'm still thinking, oh, what, what do you, how, how good is this going to be? Like, so there was like five or six of us pastors uh, uh, across the city. And uh, as we went up, you know, we, we went over Cherry Creek Reservoir and then we headed downtown and we're just a couple thousand feet above it. And, and then uh, after kind of looking around a little bit, uh, we, we began to pray. And uh, what I was shocked with, a num- number of things, man, it was a, actually a, a very powerful time of prayer for our city. Um, I, I was struck by three things, though. I was struck, one, as you fly over the city, just the immense spiritual, physical, emotional, relational needs that were represented in, in that flight over the city. Just, just huge in our city. I mean, uh, Denver is one of the, I think it was ra- ranked the second loneliest city in America. Uh, and so that has some implications. So flying, just this massive needs as we're praying over the city. And, and then we're flying over churches and, and different churches. And then I, 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 the second realization I had was that, that it's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city. The whole church to reach the whole city. And so we were just praying for different churches, praying for different churches. And then um, the third realization that uh, is just that, kind of the second one as well, it's just that uh, each church has to follow the Spirit and do what God has called them to do. If we are going to, as Christ's body, as Christ's family, reach this city, all of us have to do our thing. And so, and so we want to be a church that uh, glorifies God in and of ourselves, but we want to be a church that lifts up and champions and recognizes that God is at work in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different denominations, a lot of different churches in our city. He, he's doing some amazing things. And, and so with that, a couple uh, weeks ago, I, I, I was joking about uh, the bounce house. I was joking about the fee boys uh, coming in and looking across the parking lot and, and seeing the bounce house and, and wanting to go there. And it was meant to be a humorous illustration about how, you know, we, uh, we, we all have a bounce house in our heart. We all want to go to something that kind of just really uh, appeals to our sense of what we want. And, and um, we, I was just kind of joking about that. But in so doing, I went too far. Uh, I, I kind of took some shots at our friends at Thrive Church, and, and that's really not my heart. Uh, my heart is, man, I, I love that church. I love Pastor Jacob. 
I, I love that. They're meeting outside because they, they, they got a building that they're preparing and, and they're kind of having these celebration services to uh, launch out. And I tell you what, if the Lord ever gives us a building, we're going to have two bounce houses, by the way. Uh, and, and we're going to celebrate big time in that way. Uh, but, but I didn't mean to take a shot at them in the process. Uh, they're very different in, in obviously in philosophy and, and there are real doctrinal differences. And yet I know that they love Jesus. And I know that they have the same spirit at work in them that is at work in us. And I know that for, for the city of Parker to be reached, uh, we're going to have to play our, our role well. And they're going to have to play their role well. And all the other churches are going to have to play their role well. And we need about 500 more church planners to come and play their role well. And, and Jesus will be magnified in his church. So, so we want to be a church that lifts up, prays, encourages, pursues what God has put before us, but also encourages other churches as well. So uh, we uh, are in this series, Together We Are, and, and we, we looked last week in Ephesians chapter 2 where, where Paul is just casting uh, the, the gospel, and he's saying, hey, uh, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, but by the grace of God, uh, because of the great mercy of God, he made you alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then he shows this amazing thing that together... We're we're being built up. Together we are uh, citizens, he reminds us, uh, of the kingdom of God. Together we are family members. So, so uh, Redemption Parker isn't like a family. It is a family. So, so when you come in, you come into family. And then it said, uh, together we are being built up as the temple of God, the, the place uh, of God's manifest presence and power on the earth is present when, when the church gathers together. And so uh, we, we looked at that. But as, as we turn our attention today to Ephesians chapter 4, we, we begin to answer the question, just as when, when I took that helicopter flight and we landed Eventually, you get on the ground and you have to say, how does this actually work? How, how does this actually work out for us? And so uh, today, we're going to start to land the helicopter rather than just kind of the big view of, of what we are as the church and the massive things that God's called us to. Today, we're going to look at what it is we as a church specifically, as a local faith family, are called to. And Ephesians chapter 4 uh, is the most um, influential passage and chapter for Redemption Parker. Uh, it, it is the thing that has guided us. It is, the, it is the passage four and a half years ago that we came around and we said, what if this was our, our, our North Star? What if this is what guided us as a church? What, what if we wrapped our lives around what, what, what is happening here in very tangible, very specific ways in Ephesians chapter four and, and tried to pursue that kind of church? Because the deal is, it's difficult, um, it's difficult to, to be a faithful church in, in today's culture, right? Like, just, just we all bring in here, the, the culture that we bring is kind of a, a, a consumeristic, individualistic culture. And Ephesians 4 is going to push against that. And it's just countercultural that you're here in Colorado on a Sunday morning. Just even that is countercultural. Even that kind of requires some exercise of spiritual muscle. But, but like, we, we do strange things here. Like, what other context are, are you just going to stand and sing? 
Like, not, there's not a lot where we're going to do some singing together. And then what's up with the tiny little cup we drink out of and the tiny little piece of bread? And why do we put uh, grown men and women under the water like they're at a dunk contest? Like, what is going on there? Like, this is, we do some strange things, uh, but it's in those strange things, uh, God tells us that he's doing some uh, amazing things in, in the world. And so, as we look at Ephesians 4 this morning, uh, we're, we're going to see that, that we are called, together we are one, and, and we have one calling, one purpose, one goal. That's how he's going to kind of break it out. We have one calling, one purpose, one goal. So, Ephesians chapter 4, as you turn there, let me just pray for our time, and then we'll get into, jump into God's word together. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for your church across the city. Lord, we pray for the various uh, faith families that we are all one in you this morning, that as they lift up Jesus in song and open your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a, a mighty work in their hearts, equip them to do a mighty work in our city. Uh, Lord, I pray that you do that through us as well. Show us now from your word, and Holy Spirit, apply this to our hearts in a way that gives us life and joy, purpose, and mission. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's start. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'll start in verse 1. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So, so Paul, let's just stop right there real quick. Paul is just reminding the Ephesians that uh, what I'm about to tell you uh, could cost you everything. What I'm about to tell you is really important. It's so important, it's worth going to prison for. It's so important, it's worth dying for. So, so this isn't like a, a tweet in the middle of the night where he just has something to say. No, like he's in prison and he loves this church and he says, here's just a reminder, I'm in prison for you. So therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, so the first thing Paul says in Ephesians 4 is, I urge you now to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So, so what you need to understand in most of Paul's epistles is, is that the first half is what's called gospel indicatives. Uh, a gospel, it's, it's here's what the gospel is. And so we, we saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead and now you are made alive by grace through faith. You, you are these things. And so this is just what's true. So if that's true, the gospel indicative, therefore that should stir our hearts and change our lives, and there are some gospel imperatives. So if you believe the gospel, Paul's saying, therefore, walk like you believe it. Live like you believe it. And that looks like something. He says, I urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so he's shifting gears. Now he's saying, what does it actually look like those that believe the gospel gathered together as a faith family, what does it actually look like? And then he goes on. Uh, of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So, you're like, okay, uh, in light of the massive, massive news of the gospel, therefore, uh, it, it can kind of, if, if we don't really understand what he's saying here, it can kind of seem like Paul's saying, hey, I'm in prison, therefore, be nice to each other. And, 
And, and he is saying that, but he's saying more than that. He, he's not just saying, hey, uh, therefore, because God has rescued me from death and the wrath I deserved, I, I should put on a fake smile and, and just wave to people. I'll be, I'll be nice to people. And when it's time to greet one another, I'll, I'll greet them and, and, and I'll go on my way. That's not what Paul's getting at here. Paul is not just saying, hey, the gospel is so amazing, you should be the nicest people on the planet. That's not what Paul's getting at. I mean, that's true, but that's, th- th- there is so much more. What, what is Paul getting that th- at this? He says, therefore, you have been called, therefore, walk like this. He, w- w- here's what he's getting at, I believe. He says, Christian, he, he's getting at our, in this whole passage, he's getting at our Christian maturity. And, and it's jo- not just an outward kind of smile, like uh, cultural nice, niceness. He, he's getting at Christian maturity. Well, what is Christian maturity? Christian maturity is nothing short of growing and becoming more and more like Christ. So we love because he first loved us. We're humble because our king left his throne in glory, stepped down and humbled himself and became a man, became a servant We're gentle because Jesus is gentle and lowly. We're patient because Jesus is patient with us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We bear with one another in love because Christ continues to bear with with us in love. So so Paul is calling us to nothing short of Christ-likeness in this passage. So it's not just uh, outward niceness. He's saying, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk like Jesus, be unified together as you grow and become like Jesus. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and belong, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, <coughs> who is over all and through all and in all. We have one calling our calling is to, uh, it, it was first to come into the family of God, and our calling is now to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, to go toward Jesus. But what we often say here, that's not easy. You can't just say, hey, uh, now that you believe the gospel, gospel go be exactly like Jesus. <laughs> uh, th- that, that takes some process, right? But we, we often say that the, gospel, the, the Christianity is not just difficult, it's impossible. Like, no one has ever been able to pull it off except for one guy. So we named it after him. And praise be to God that he hasn't left us in our own strength to do that. He has given us his spirit. He has given us spiritual gifts to get there. <clears throat> Look what it says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The New Testament is clear that if you're a follower of Jesus, in the moment that you have transferred from the domain of darkness and been brought into the kingdom of the light, the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit seals your life and equips you and gives you spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but that's true of every single one of, here, one of you that is a believer in Jesus today. In fact, half the battle this morning is just to get you to believe that if you're a believer, you have the Spirit and the Spirit has equipped you specifically with unique gifts. And, and we'll see why in just a minute. But many of us don't, don't think in those terms that, that God would actually want to do something in and through me and he's equipped and empowered me to do it. But Paul goes on to unpack this. We have one calling and one purpose 
He, he unpacks that purpose in verse 8. He says, therefore it says, when, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, what, what in the world is that? Again, this is one of those verses where you read it and you're like, I don't understand that. I'm moving on to the next verses. But, but this is actually quite interesting. And if we had more time, I would dig even more deeper, deeper into this. But he's quoting Psalm 68 and particularly verse 18. And in Psalm 68, uh, what, what the psalmist is saying, it's a, it's a very powerful psalm of the deliverance of God for his people. And they're remembering God uh, in impossible situations uh, like Pharaoh and their army up against the Red Sea delivering him. And they're crying out to God and they're saying, God, would you deliver us? Would you help the, the widow? Will you help the orphan? Will you help the poor and the oppressed? Will you help your people? Will you deliver us out of the bondage and the slavery and all the, the, the muck and mire of this world? And will you bring us into the promised land? Will you lead us in triumphal procession into the promised land? And in Psalm 68, it says he does that. And when he does that, he actually says, Paul actually changes the the verse around. Paul says he gave gifts to men. In Psalm 68, it says men give gifts to him. So which is it, Paul? Did did you just mess up and, and misquote Psalm 68? No, what, what, what Paul is seeing here is that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of Psalm 68. He's the one that has come uh, into the darkest, deepest places and, and he has rescued. And as, he, uh, as, he, as his death, burial, and resurrection, as, his, as, he, as he goes into ascension, he, he's bringing gifts with him. And the Bible is clear that the gifts that he brings with him is the men, is the people. His faith family is his gifts. But, but he's not, he doesn't just stop there. As he's going to the Father, he is distributing gifts back. Back to the people. He's giving them gifts. Now, now what, why is that? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 10, he says, he who descended, that's Jesus, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, that he might fill all things. So Paul is getting at that, that the purpose that, that Jesus gives you gifts, that the Spirit has given you gifts, is that the, the reign, the rule, the supremacy of Jesus would fill, fill all things. It's actually a fulfillment of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, Paul makes the implication. How, how is Habakkuk going to be fulfilled? How is the, the, the earth going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Through you. Through you guys. I know it's crazy. It's a crazy, it's a plan. I wouldn't have come up with the plan, honestly. Like there's a lot of things that I I would say, God, I don't think that's a good plan. Like walk around Jericho. Like there's better ways to attack a city. Like like on every level, there's lots of things. But but God says, no, I'm going to give gifts to you so that the knowledge of the glory and the grace and the mercy, the beauty of Jesus will spread over the whole planet and it will happen through you. It'll happen through you and through me. 
So we, we get these gifts, but, but we think of gifts oftentimes in our Western culture as uh, like birthday gifts, right? right? If I have a birthday, uh, you bring me gifts and that's awesome. And I get to enjoy the gifts and I get to keep the gifts. But, but, but this is not how gifts are, are described in the New Testament, whether it's here or uh, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12. The gifts are actually described more like, um, well, I had, a, I had a class up at CSU when I was in college, cultural and anthropology. And the, the professor was a, a kind of an expert on the Cheyenne tribe uh, of northern Colorado, southern Wyoming. And so he would always apply the cultural anthropology uh, in this, this tribe study. And so he, he describes a potlatch, which is a gifting ceremony. And so uh, whoever was to be honored, uh, the whole tribe would co- come together and they would make very thoughtful, meaningful, uh, kind of expensive gifts. And they would come and, and whoever was to be honored would, would be at the center and they would all bring their gifts to him or her. But then, him or her, where it was expected to then redistribute those gifts and send them out to the rest of the tribe. So in the end, the gifts were not for them. The gifts were were for the whole tribe. And I, I think this is actually a better picture of the gift that you have. Whatever gift God has given me, it's not for me. It's for you. And whatever gift God has given you, it's not for you, it's for me. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to see this divine mystery, this profound mystery. What, what Paul says in, in Ephesians 3.10, the manifest, glory, the manifest glory of God is on display in the church when we exercise our gifts, not for our sake, but for each other's sake. It begins to spread. So our one purpose is to uh, know our gifts, walk in our gifts, use our gifts, and to build us up to our one goal. So that goal comes out in verse 11. It says, and he gave, again, he's talking about the gifts. And, and, And one of the gifts he gave is these positions. He gave, and these offices, he gave apostles and prophets. We talked about last week. Uh, He gave the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And again, uh, probably in your kind of Western, modern American Christianity, you immediately put those categories, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, all those, you, 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 maybe not verbally, but kind of just subconsciously, those are the people that do the ministry. Yeah, the pastor, he's, he's doing ministry. Uh, he, he left his job to go to school and then to go do ministry. Uh, they do ministry, but, but, but that's actually not what Paul says at all. But look what he says. He gave these positions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, this, again, is what I said has, was the key verse, verses to form Redemption Parker. So what if, what if the whole church used the whole gifts of the church for the building up of the whole church, and it wasn't just a select few? I mean, what could you do in our city, God, if every person who is a follower of Jesus understood that they had gifts for the body and was walking in those gifts. I mean, we thought, okay, how do we organize ministries? How how do we organize things so that that is the experience of people, that people are actually walking in their gifts for the building up of the body? 
And, and why? What, what's the purpose? Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, so it, God gives us a diversity of gifts to make us interdependent, to actually make us one. That none of us on our own are going to mature into the fullness of Christ. You can't do it. You can't do it through your private spiritual disciplines, though we hope you have them. You can't do it by reading a lot of books. You can't do it by going to seminary. Paul says the only way that we can actually mature, he's designed it this way, is to be in life together, to do life together. Because again, you have gifts that I need, and I have gifts that you need, and everyone in this room needs each other's gifts. And if we aren't committed to one another, then, then we miss out, and there's parts of our maturity that gets stunted. We just won't mature. We won't grow. The, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will not fill the earth if we don't understand this, this call to community and walking in these gifts. Now, this is profound. But what happens if we don't do that? Well, verse 14 tells us, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says, if you don't give your life to the church, if you don't give your life to the people in the church, again, the church is a people, not a place, then there's going to be some instability. There's going to be some immaturity. There's going to be some um, stumbling. I mean, just yesterday, I, I was in this long text thread with a friend of mine from, uh, that I discipled in Okinawa, and he's in ministry now. He's a missionary in Europe, and we were, we were, kinda, we were just going down the list of, of people that were in our church in Okinawa, that were, that were plugged in, that they, they were leading ministries. And, and I'm talking like five or six core people that, that in no way, shape, or form walk with the Lord today. And it broke our heart. Like, we both just said, man... I, th- I texted him, I was like, man, I'm depressed. I'm depressed. And as we talked about a little bit more, like, we love these people. We've seen these people walking in their gifts. We've seen, these, we've seen God work in and through them, and now they don't want anything to do. And we said together, we, we, we just said, you know what? The common denominator of all six of these people that we just were grieving over well, they were in the military, and so then they, they get stationed somewhere else. And in the stationing of somewhere else, they didn't make the body of Christ a priority in their lives any longer. And it was a slow drift for some. Some it was a fast drift. But all of them is the same story. They're out. And I'm telling you, as a pastor of this church, I don't want to see you out. Like, this isn't so that, uh, I'm not trying to get you to buy in so that you'll raise our budget and we'll get bigger numbers. That's not the goal. The goal is that we would together love each other enough, use our gifts, and, and we would grow like Christ. We would mature together. See, see, there is a good kind of immaturity. A good kind of immaturity is that because we are on mission, we're sharing the gospel, God's bringing dead people to life, and people are being born again, and then they're coming into our faith family, and they don't know, and they've got a lot of immaturity, and we'll grow them up. That's a good kind of immaturity. A bad kind of immaturity is you've been a Christian 20, 30, 40 years and you still are a baby spiritually. That should not be. There's something wrong with a church that has just kind of a surface level maturity to it. 
There's also something wrong with a church that has a a quote-unquote deep maturity, but they're not adding anyone to their number because they're not on mission together. They're not going out. They're not sharing the gospel. And so we want to have a good immaturity. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, here's one of the things that you need to understand about spiritual gifts. God has gifted you with different gifts. Maybe it's the gift of leadership or generosity or service or hospitality or or mercy. Like like God has given you that gift, but, but it's not just so that you use that gift. It's so that you use that gift in such a way that we grow up into that as well. What he's saying is that in every way we're called to mature. So, so you can't just say, well, that's not my gift. I'm not really a generous person. Well, you're called to be like Jesus. So find someone in the church that has the gift of generosity and spend some time with them and it will begin to grow your generosity. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm more of a truth guy. I'm not a mercy guy. Well, Jesus is a mercy guy. So find the people that have a deep care for people and begin to spend some time with them because you need to grow and be like Jesus. I'm, I'm a teacher, so I do the teaching. No, you, you actually need to help people learn how to teach. You, you need to identify some people that help them because, again, Jesus is the ultimate teacher. The aim is for all of us in all ways to become more like Jesus. We can't just say, well, it's really not my gift to do any serving. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate servant, so find some servants and go with them. I'm not gifted in evangelism. Okay, well, find the people that are and say, hey, can we go out together? I just want to follow you. I want to to see what you do, see what you say, because I want to grow and be more like Jesus. I want to have a heart. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, this is how we grow. Yes, we exercise our gift, but our gift is meant to then help everyone else come to the level that we're at in those giftings in every way into him who is the head. Finally, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together in every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The ultimate mark of Christian maturity is not how much do you know? How much have you memorized? Not even how much do you go to church or how good your spiritual disciplines are. The ultimate mark of Christian maturity is how much do you love? How much do you love? And I think in the church, oftentimes we're like, love is hard, but I can memorize three verses and then people will think I'm spiritually mature. No, I'm saying memorize the verses as long as it stirs your love and your maturity in that way. So so we're called to love because while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. He is love builds itself up in love this will be the mark of our maturity so you can again you cannot do this on your own christianity just is not a spectator sport we we often say christianity is is deeply deeply personal never private it's just not the way that he designed it he's intentionally designed it for us to need each other and this takes time like like this is a slow process this is many meals together. This is hanging out. This, this is just getting to know each other. I have a friend that's a, a pastor in Okinawa that uh, loved this guy. He, uh, 
his people will come to me, come to him, and they'll be like, well, I, I can do this. I can, I can teach this, or I can lead worship. I'll do this. And he'll always just say, hey, man, just come hang out with us. But I want to do all these things. And he'll be like, that, that's cool. But we just want to spend time with you. Just come hang out with us. Come hang out with us. It's going to take some time. And in the hanging out with one another, you begin to discover some things. You begin to discover the gifts that God has actually given you. You have certain inclinations to, to bless each other, and, and they have different inclinations. And you begin to see those gifts. But it takes time. It takes life on life. And so three things we want to do, if this is true, that, that my role is to equip you to do ministry. Three things is to, one, help you identify the gifts. Like, like we want to be in each other's life enough to say, hey, man, I see this in you. Now, now here's the thing about the gifts. They're, they aren't fully developed the moment you have them. It takes time. I remember a guy named Dave Patty, uh, who was a, a pastor, he had, and he was working with me at Pizza Hut, actually, and I was a new Christian, and, and, but I was sharing with some of the other uh, drivers uh, the gospel, and I was talking to him and answering their questions, and, and Dave came up to me, and he's like, hey, Mark, I heard what you're saying. Have you ever, you know, I think you have the gift of teaching. Have you ever thought about becoming a teacher, a pastor? And I was like, no, I've never thought about that. But it sent me on a path. So, so that happens in community. That happens in, in observing each other's gifts and just encouraging, say, hey, I see this in you. When's the last time you saw a gift in someone and you said, I see this in you? you can you imagine, like that really, that can really set people's gifts on fire. It can, it can blossom in that way if we're in life together in such a way to do that. So we want to help identify the gifts. We want to help develop the gifts. And I, I see that, that you have this heart of mercy. Um, let, let's get you in some positions in the church where you are exercising that gift or teaching or generosity or service or, or whatever it is. We want to help develop. And then we want to provide contexts in the church to use gifts. Sunday morning provides a few contexts, but, but they, they can never do what, what this passage is calling us to. And so we say, okay, gospel communities will be a context where people can do life on life. Our Bible studies, men and women, our men's retreat will be a context where you will get to know people in a real way and God will do a miraculous thing in that. So imagine if we as a church wrapped our lives around this passage and we really believed. Again, I think half the battle for you for, for half the people in this room today is really believing that God wants to work in and through your life and that he has especially equipped you for specific purposes. I would just say, I would just invite you this morning to believe the gospel. Jesus has gifted you for the building up of his church. Do you know what it is? Imagine if we believed it. Imagine if we walked in these gifts. Imagine if together we, we are maturing and becoming more and more and more like Jesus in our city because one, we're learning from one another, we're loving one another, and we're going with one another. I, I think Jesus would do some profound things. In fact, if we were on mission together, the whole emphasis of this passage that we would be united as one would happen. I mean, that's true in your marriages. You want to have a unified marriage? Get on mission together. That's true in our families. Get on mission together. That's true in our gospel communities. You want to have a, a united, not a d d divided gospel community? Get on mission together. And that's true in our church. And, and I think that what God is saying to us as a church is that if we would do this, he would fill the earth with the knowledge and the glory of God, or at least Parker, 
of his church simply believed him and walked in their gifts. To that end, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, I pray for every single person here. Lord, if they do not know the very specific and tangible ways that you have gifted, equipped them, called them, I pray, Lord, that over the next days and weeks, months and years, you would reveal that to them and that they would seek to honor Jesus, that they would walk in a manner worthy of their calling as they walk in their gifting. Lord, help us to be a church that sees one another and sees the giftings in one another and encourages and affirms those giftings. And then, Jesus, we pray that you would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could think or imagine. Uh, We believe your word this morning. And so do, do it in us and through us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.